one of the things that I have seen is that black boys are being pushed into special education programs because of behavior. And behavior is impacted by discipline. Discipline comes from the school. This comes from policies that are normally biased because research has shown that a lot of school district behavior and discipline policies are based off of research and studies of how black boys act and perform in school. And so it's almost as if, well, we're creating a policy because we're making the assumption that you're going to do something wrong. Welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reaver, and in this episode, I talk with Jason Allen, an Atlanta-based teacher, blogger, and community advocate with a passionate drive to improve education for Black boys, as well as for increasing the number of Black male educators in schools. One of my goals for the podcast recently is to feature more perspectives and voices of the teachers who are in the trenches, working with our differently wired kids every day. I'm also aware that across the country, students of color are underserved and under-evaluated for gifted and accelerated programs, while black boys especially tend to be over-identified with learning disabilities. I believe so deeply that all differently wired kids should be able to thrive and feel supported. So when I came across Jason's writing online, I knew right away I wanted to bring him onto the podcast to talk about this issue and to share his perspective as an educator. In our conversation, Jason tells us about his experiences as a teacher and administrator over the past 15 years, how his own learning differences influence his teaching and approach to his students, as well as his insights for improving educational outcomes for differently wired kids of color and black boys in particular. This is a profoundly important topic within the differently wired community and deserves attention and understanding. I hope you get a lot out of this conversation. And a few quick announcements before I get to that. If you haven't seen it yet, I invite you to check out the newest section of Tilt Parenting's website, Tilt Education. On Tilt Education, you'll find the largest and still growing listing of schools for neurodivergent learners available, featuring personal testimonials from parents who have firsthand knowledge of the schools to better help parents trying to find a fit for their child with their decision-making process. You'll also find a discussion guide for Differently Wired for use with PTAs and reading groups, a playlist of education-related episodes, and also a section just for educators. And now, here is my conversation with Jason. Hello, Jason. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm really glad to have your voice in this conversation. When I reached out to you, I think I mentioned that though this podcast is primarily for parents, I have a goal of doing more conversations that can be shared with educators as well and just talking about the education system. And I wanted to get your perspective because I I found you online and some of your blog posts, which were really powerful. And so I just thank you for coming on to the show. Oh, wow. Well, thank you so much for your words. And um, I look forward to sharing some of the best practices that I use in my classroom and also uh, being a former family engagement specialist, um, things that I do to also engage my parents in the learning process. Well, as a way to get into this, I always ask people to, as a way of sharing 
who they are in the world to also talk a little bit about their personal why for doing the work that they do. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself and why and how you got into this work? Okay, awesome. Uh, well, my name is Jason Allen again. I live in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I attended public schools here. Um, had amazing teachers. I come from a family of entrepreneurs and educators. Uh, my mom actually just retired from being a teacher, and my father is an entrepreneur. And so I'm very, you know, familiar with the education field and you know the impact that teachers have. Um, that wasn't my dream. My dream was to actually be a lawyer, which, you know, one day I think I may actually go and do that. Um, but I actually just fell in love with teaching and, um, you know, I believe that it's my calling because I'm, you know, really, you know, honored and talented at doing it at the same time. So that's just me. I'm a writer also. Um, so anyone who may be interested in following me can um, check me out at Atlanta.org and also my personal blog, which is professorjballen.blogspot.com. Oh, thank you for that. I will include links to that in the show notes for listeners to check out your writing. So, and I was reading your bio and you're in the classroom now, but you were working as an administrator as well before this. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. I have been a assistant principal in a charter school here in Metro Atlanta and also a district administrator with federal programs in Atlanta Public Schools. So, and I love that you come from a family of educators. So one of the things that I wanted to talk with you about was, I know that for kids of color, the challenges for being differently wired are amplified. And, you know, there's been a lot, I'm living in New York City, there's a lot of conversation right now about equity and the gifted program and that so many kids are not being identified. And I know that is not just in New York City, that happens everywhere. And I know that kids of color are also treated differently in many schools, especially black boys, which I know is your area of passion. So as a way to get into this conversation, could you share with us some of the biggest challenges that you see in your experience that black students in traditional school settings face? You know, we can talk about black students in general, but also differently wired black students? So I can tell you that it's definitely a struggle. I think there are several dynamics that are happening. One, um, it starts at home. Uh, Parents are doing the best that they can, but they don't have all the information they need to make a better decision because there's not a clear pathway of communication from the school to home. Um, That's a roadblock for a lot of families Um, who have black and brown children in public school. Um, The other dynamic is having a child that has special needs, whether they're gifted and talented or whether they have a learning disability that isn't being met properly in their school setting. It's a struggle for both. Um, I have seen gifted students that were tested in elementary school and they have great test scores. They've shown their abilities but they weren't taught properly. So when they get to middle school and they come to us as being gifted and talented, we're giving them the rigor and the work to build the airplane or, you know, write a speech to the president and be able to articulate what you need and what you want and what you see for your education and your community. And they're not able to do it. And so when we work with them and we start to uncover that there are foundational skills that haven't been placed, 
this is a gifted and talented student, a student that should be soaring, you know, high above the standards that are set by the school in the state. And that's not happening. So you can imagine what's happening with the children who have learning disabilities. Mm. They are coming to us in middle school and they're literally on a first and second grade reading level. And so that's just a, that's just one of the many things that the children with learning disabilities are facing. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done and we need to um, have more conversations that are happening right now. Yeah, I always say that there's so much work to be done. And then I get so inspired when I, you know, through doing this work and this podcast, I get to meet so many people who are doing the work, which gives me so much hope, but it can be overwhelming. It can be very daunting. Yes, it can be overwhelming at times. I, you know, I know great school leaders and, you know, schools such as Ivy Prep, where I have seen them develop an amazing special education department with the assistance of their um assistance, excuse me, of their board, um, and also other specialists such as an um, educational company called Leadbright that has helped them develop this vision for how they will successfully educate girls that have learning disabilities, and it's working. Um, the current school that I'm at, Seven Pillars Career Academy, we are making strides with our scholars that have learning disabilities, and that is myself, our leadership team, Um, and our other teachers. And so one of the things that I've seen with my students is that they didn't have the right goals for them to overcome some of the challenges that they have with learning. Um, Some of them were not really evaluated properly. So they have some challenges that are happening with the way that they learn and we are servicing them for something else. And so, you know, you have a lot of those things that are happening and then you have a child that's frustrated because they feel like they can't learn. And it's not that they can't learn. We just aren't teaching them in the manner where they can successfully produce the standards that are being presented to them. So it sounds like you have strategies that you're able to get these students kind of back on track and meet their needs. Can you share with us some of the approaches that you've used successfully to help these kids feel confident and and engaged and and learning in a way that can really support their own style? Yes, it is um, things that should be very familiar with, you know, some of us, um, And I do things that are very old school. You know, I try to merge old school and new school. Um, So one of the things that I definitely do is reinforce homework. Um, Learning has to continue at home. Um, One of the things that I teach my students and I reinforce with the parents that I work with is that learning takes place at all times. And so one of the things that we do to change the narrative about children's fear of school or fear of not learning as fast as others is to show that we learn in different places. And so that's important because when we do research on why children don't show success or growth in the classroom, we look at the whys. And so one of the whys is children, especially children who have autism, for example, if they don't feel comfortable in the learning environment, they're not going to interact with the teacher or their peers. So they're not going to do anything. And so you want to make sure that you engage that student, but it has to be the right climate and the right atmosphere. And so knowing what the need of the student is is very important. 
And so changing the narrative and changing the dynamic of what the classroom looks like and what learning looks like is important for a student like that because they need to see that they can learn at home. They can learn while they're driving in the car with their parent or on the bus or on a field trip or on vacation at their grandparents' house. Um, learning can take place in different environments. And so for a child who has autism, seeing that repetition and seeing that, okay, I can learn in multiple places, that is what breaks down that barrier from them being able to engage with their teacher and other people. Yeah, so it's really a mindset shift. And I love that idea of being a lifelong learner too. And yeah, that's really interesting that I haven't heard that as an approach that other teachers I've talked to have used. And it makes so much sense. Yeah. So another thing that I do with my students and my parents, um, I break down how we're going to do homework. So homework connects to what we do in class. Of course, most teachers are doing this. There are some teachers who aren't doing homework and that's okay too. But I believe the homework you know, is important, especially for students who have learning uh, challenges because it helps them, you know, build up their skills. And so, you know, in my current school, we do Brain Pop, which is a familiar website uh, with students and parents. And we do our bell ringer or our opening with Brain Pop. And so, you know, as we close out our lessons, you know, we do our exit, you know, closing activity, you know, as a follow-up with Brain Pop. And then on various days or selected days, they have an activity at home that they do on brain pop. Student is familiar with it. Parents are familiar with it. Students are able to share with their parents what they're doing. Um, there are engaging activities uh, which continue learning at home and students are wanting to do it. Um, one of the interesting things is I don't have a problem with getting homework back or homework done for my students. And that's something that's very rare because I can tell you right now, I know a lot of teachers and they're like, my students are not doing homework. They are not doing it at all. Um, and so, you know, that's one of the things that I celebrate in our staff meetings and also with our parents is that, you know, we have a 99% or 100%, you know, turn-in rate of homework. And that's something that you don't traditionally see or hear about. Um, so homework does work, and that's a strategy that I use to help my students improve in their goals. Um, another strategy, again, as I just mentioned goals, is goal setting. Um, I'm teaching them foundational basic life skills. And so, you know, reading strategies come with that, teaching them how they can overcome their speech impediment by practicing at home uh, in the mirror. So, you know, we do different skits, and then they go home and they practice that. And so practice makes perfect. Um, that's a philosophy that I teach my students for them to be really engaged in improving how they learn. Um, you know, engagement is the key to everything. That's another strategy. So a lot of these things that I'm speaking of are different ways that I'm engaging my students in their learning. Um, and that has worked for them. I have had, out of all of my caseload, every one of my students has made gains in some area for their goals, whether it's math, um, whether it's reading, whether it's writing, um, or whether it's grammar. And so it's very important. And actually, I have students who take speech. So speaking is also a goal. So teaching them public speaking and getting them comfortable with speaking in front of their peers and in large settings is important. And so how do you get a child that has a speech impediment to feel comfortable with asking a question? 
So it sounds like you've really created a culture around learning and curiosity and engagement in your classroom and your kids are really taking your lead. And and it makes sense. I mean, it sounds like you're probably an amazing teacher and your kids, I can imagine they want to show up for you. And so I'm wondering, there are so many different school models and traditional schools I know are the ones where differently wired kids tend to suffer the most. And I'm wondering, where do you see the barriers in terms of some of these strategies being implemented in a traditional school model? Well, here's what we do at my school. One of the things that makes us unique is that we're a non-suspension school. And so my students are, you know, coming from all different types of placements. They're used to being in in-school suspension. They're used to being suspended from school, suspended from the bus. Um, that has not happened for them this entire year. So, you know, students that I have that have behavior plans, they've met their goals. They met their goals months ago. And, you know, that's a huge improvement because the culture changed for them. And so when you mentioned that earlier, culture is a big part of how schools can really reach their students. Our public schools, they struggle with that. Um, One reason why is because school districts do not invest in family engagement programs and services. They don't invest in student services departments. And so that means that the counselors, your social emotional learning teachers, your graduation coaches, your parent liaison or family coordinators, um, your special education teachers, your paraprofessionals, all of those persons have to be actively engaged and supported in the schools. And I've worked in a public school. I've been a district administrator for a public school district. And I can tell you that, you know, public schools across the United States, they struggle with funding and supporting those departments. And so that's why, you know, a lot of children with learning disabilities, even children in the general education setting are struggling because schools aren't really being supported as we believe that they are. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body. And so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. 
So in our house these days, Darren and I have been working together to up-level our nutrition and healthy lifestyle habits. Maybe it's our age, our changing bodies, my shifting hormones, whatever the reason, I'm here for it. And that's why I'm loving Green Chef, a meal company that makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. Green Chef offers gut-friendly recipes each week and is committed to providing a holistic approach to nutrition by offering meals that contribute to the overall well-being of your entire body. Darren and I are particularly big fans of their nutrient-dense, science-backed gut and brain health recipes, developed in partnership with registered dietitians that improve digestion, reduce bloat, and also boost energy and immunity. This week's favorites, turkey, black bean, and sweet potato chili, and the Baja chicken bowls with mango salsa. I mean, don't those sound delicious? But if that's not your thing, you can choose from a variety of customized meals to suit your lifestyles with preferences like keto, vegan, vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean, gluten-free, and protein-packed. Whatever you choose, you'll get farm-fresh ingredients, organic whole fruits and veggies, and premium proteins, along with chef-crafted, nutritionist-approved recipes delivered straight to your door. Go to greenchef.com slash 60tilt and use code 60tilt to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's 60% off plus 20% off your next two months when you use the code 60TILT at greenchef.com slash 60TILT. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. I'm wondering, as you're talking about this, I'm wondering if politics is in your future. I mean, it, it seems like, and people have brought this up to me too. There's a lot of policy change that needs to happen as well. And I'm like, that is not my wheelhouse, but I'm wondering, you know, is that something you think about doing? You know, I have colleagues and friends who are elected officials and I'm never a person to say never. Um, so, you know, I will say that I have been actively engaged in student government since I was in elementary school to college. So um, public office could be a possibility. Okay. So this isn't on the record, people. So no promises. But no, I just had to ask (laughs) because, again, we talk about the enormity of the challenges that these kids face. And there are just some systemic policy challenges that, as you said, you know, just that funding piece is, is huge. And I think it is something that so many parents aren't aware of, right? They think they pay their money or the the PTA and you know they just kind of assume it's all a finely oiled machine perhaps and that's not necessarily the case. That's correct. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the kids that come to you. Um, you talked about in other school settings that these are kids who often they didn't have the right evaluations done. Um, they weren't being taught with the right goals in mind. What do you see is going on in, in terms of these kids, maybe when they're in elementary school, that is preventing them from being identified and supported the right way? I mean, you talk a lot about family engagement, and I think that is a really important piece of this. But what other challenges, especially are differently wired kids of color when they're young and they're in preschool or early elementary, is preventing them from getting the support that they need? Okay, so um, several things that I would like to touch on is going to bring up to highlight. Um, one of the things that I have seen is that black boys are being pushed into special education programs because of behavior. And behavior is impacted by discipline. 
discipline comes from the school. This comes from policies that are normally biased because research has shown that a lot of school district behavior and discipline policies are based off of research and studies of how black boys act and perform in school. And so it's almost as if, well, we're creating a policy because we're making the assumption that you're going to do something wrong. So here's what we're going to do if you show a sign of this. So I have black boys that have been pushed into special education for behavior improvement plans. And it was because they didn't want to sit down. They wanted to stand up to learn or they needed to get up, you know, every five minutes for a break because their minds race so fast. It's like, okay, I have all these ideas, but I have so so much energy. So they need to be up. They need to be engaged. You know, I read notes that, oh, you know, he's being evaluated for this because he won't pay attention to the teacher in class. But the teacher's style of teaching is that they lecture the whole time. So they're just talking the entire time. There are no visuals. There's no break. There's no group work. And so that type of setting didn't work for the child. And so that is one of the major issues is that schools don't know how to handle the behavior of black boys. And so they're willing to push them into special education. That way they're, just, they're not disrupting the classroom and other students aren't being disrupted. But their education is disrupted because they're just being placed somewhere that may not be servicing them. Right. So what is the, you know, I'm always trying to think of how can we as a community create change, be part of shifting this paradigm? Where do you see the heavy lifting being done here? Is it in education of the teachers? Is it of education of the parent community in general? So three things. It can start with advocacy for better policies in special education and also, you know, including the gifted and talented area. They, you know, they like to distinguish the two. Um, secondly, it starts with also how we engage families. Families need to be a part of the process in regards to how goals are implemented, what it looks like, how they can support it at home. You know, I know that most parents, they told me this year, they were like, I've never really been engaged in the process like this. And I'm looking at them like, what are you talking about? And they're like, you know, we normally have the meeting at the beginning of the year and that's it. And I'm like, well, that's not how I do things. And so, you know, engaging the parents in the goals and the work and ways that they can help their child overcome their disability, that's where the major work starts. Um, the other thing is we need to improve the co-teaching models in public classrooms. Um, you know, a lot of teachers are being, I don't want to say forced, but their passion isn't to co-teach or have another teacher in their classroom working with them. And so when that dynamic is not, you know, congealed and in place, it impacts how the children learn. Um, so schools need people who could come in and train their teachers on what it should look like, um, and also ensuring that the general ed teachers are aware of how different strategies and accommodations can help not just the children that have a learning disability, but also the general ed children as well. And so being able to bring together and merge those best practices is important, and that comes with 
having a good team that can provide professional development that's ongoing for teachers so that they are learning as well as the students. So are you seeing, you know, you've been in education for 15 years and I'm just wondering, are you seeing change in doing this work as being an advocate and, and working in administration and being so involved in these issues. And this is what you write about. Um, Often you've got a lot of great blog posts and articles where you're sharing these perspectives. Have you, are you seeing things improving? Things are improving in some places, but in a lot of places it's not, it's really a lot of the same thing. You know, I'm really disappointed in where the field of education currently stands. We are in a major crisis with a huge deficit in teachers across the nation. Um, I'm so aloof as to why it's not on CNN on a daily basis in regards to the number of teachers that are leaving the profession. It's concerning. You know, and it's not even teachers, bus drivers, cafeteria workers, nurses, counselors. It's like we don't have people that are showing up for our children because they're either being underpaid, overworked, or not being able to grow in their field. And so it's really challenging in education. It's very political. Um, You have a lot of things that happen in communities with gentrification and affordable housing and transportation. And so, you know, that impacts um, education. When you don't have the staffing that you need in your school, that impacts education. So there are so many dynamics that are happening where it doesn't make any sense. I was telling my students this on yesterday, that my great-grandparents lived well into their 90s and my oldest great-grandfather lived to be 107. And I told my students that I have letters and cards from my grandparents. And I told them, I said, I'm not saying this to, you know, belittle you all. Then they know what that word means because I've taught them that. And I told them, I said, I'm going to show you guys their letters because I want you all to see how they were writing with a third grade education. They didn't finish school after third grade. And the things that you guys are struggling with are foundational things that my great grandparents could do and they didn't go past third grade. And they were so puzzled by that. They were like, well, why did that happen? I said, well, we have to look at the beginning. These were your challenges with learning. And you all are telling me that you didn't even know that until I asked you in our first interview. I interviewed my students. So at the beginning of the year, every student gets to interview with me. So they get to learn who I am as a teacher and I get to learn who they are. And so when I asked them about their deficiencies, my students that had speech impediments, they had never even heard of that. They didn't even know that that's what that meant. They just knew that they stuttered and something was wrong with them. And they didn't get that from home. They got that from a teacher. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. 
That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone, our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Yeah, I mean, I'm wondering... And I've heard this from other guests I've had on the show that within the Black community as well, that there is more stigma attached to certain disabilities or the idea of getting support might be looked look down upon or frowned upon get working with a therapist. Has that been your experience with the kids that you're working with? You know, I, this is what I believe. <laughs> School districts have to have something going on with the medical field because all of these children, whether they're black, red, yellow, black, white, are being diagnosed with ADHD. You know, I'm not saying that it's not real, but when I look at what's being told and shown to me on paper, I, I look at these students and I'm like, I've seen this. And then I go back to my own experience and I'm like, well, we were doing that in school and they never told us that this is what it was, but this is what my teacher did and it worked. And so I think that, you know, it's several dynamics that are going on. A lot of children are being placed on medicine. And it's for things that can be managed. And when I say managed is parents and teachers have to understand that every child is not, it's, every child is not the same. You know, my teachers were learning that as they were teaching, you know, our generation in the 90s, like this isn't working. We're going to have to enter, start integrating technology. We're going to have to start doing more engaging things. I can't just get up here and talk for a whole hour and say, write down everything I say. 
and expect every child to do it because we realized that we were failing children and we were leaving children behind. So we had to change our practices and our awareness to meet every child. And unfortunately, that's not happening everywhere. So black children, especially black boys, are being left behind in special education programs because their needs are simply not being met. Yeah, I mean, with differently wired kids, it really is about getting to know who they are, right? Becoming fluent in them, in the way that they're thinking, in the way they process information. And I feel like most students don't thrive in a traditional classroom. And those that do, it's because they're, for whatever reason, able to just get through that that day, that that construct but it's not what would really make them thrive. You know, I think the whole system needs to be overhauled so kids can really just learn in a creative way. And that is exactly what you said. Kids have to learn in a creative way. And I think what makes my teaching style unique is because of my learning style. Um, You know, I share with my students and I, I started doing that when I was an assistant principal because a lot of the students that were being sent to my office um, had learning disabilities. And so I started sharing with my students that, you know, when I was at school, I was gifted and talented, but I also had special services. Um, I also told them that I had a speech impediment. And, you know, they now understand what that means. So they're like, oh my God, Miss Allen, you used to study. And I was like, oh, you would not even believe it. And I was like, but, you know, when they hear me talking and they, they're watching me as I teach, you would never think that that was one of the challenges that I had. So I'm telling you what I know because it worked. And then I, you know, I tell them stories of former students that had challenges with reading and comprehension and being able to write. And I'm like, you know, this is one of my students' story on the blog. And they read it and they're like, oh my God, they had this challenge that I have and they wrote this. And I was like, yeah. So that it's it's also a connection. Teachers have to be able to have a connection with their students, but you also have to be understanding and you have to be willing to change your perspective on what you believe is the best thing for the child. And I'm saying that in this perspective that what I have learned is that my students, based off of what they are able to produce and what they show me, they show me and teach me what I should be doing to help them overcome their deficiencies. So we have to be more engaged with our students and looking inside of what's happening to determine what we can do to help them overcome their challenges and not teach to them. We have to teach with them. We have to learn from them and they have to also learn from us. I love that so much. Yeah. Again, it really is about seeing seeing the child and and being vulnerable with them as well. So um, I wanted to, just as a way to close this out, in talking about the teaching profession, and, and I appreciate your thoughts on, you know, just the profession as a whole and how overworked and undervalued and underpaid and stressed out our teachers are. And within my community, many parents are challenged by the school system. It's kind of the biggest pain point for them is their child is not thriving in a school system. And so I'm trying to, again, help bridge that gap in some ways and just get some conversations going. So 
I'm just curious if you could give one one change or one kind of planting a seed for one thing that you think is the most urgent mindset shift or or change that we want to start encouraging teachers to make. We know teachers are working and have the best of intentions for our kids. So what's one thing that we could encourage them to do to better support our differently wired kids in general and specifically differently wired kids of color? The best thing that I could say is whether it's a special education teacher, general ed teacher, support staff, administrators, um, any educator that touches the life of a student, whether they have a learning disability or not, is to truly be engaged with them so that whatever you're teaching them and modeling for them and exposing them to is empowering them to be their best self, to make the best choices, to critically think about things, to actively listen, um, to respect the thoughts and presence of others, and to be the best representation of their community and their family. Uh, And I feel like those are basic things. Those are things that connect us as people. And so when we can connect as people, then we can make the difference. When I was an administrator, one of the things that I would tell my teachers and support staff is our students have to see us as human first. So Mr. Allen is able to make a difference as a teacher because they see Mr. Allen as a human. They see me concerned about what's happening in the world and what's happening in the community and what's happening in their family. You know, what's happening with them. When they see that you're a human and you actually, you know, care about things that's happening in the news and you listen to music and you know what's happening on TV or, you know, what the latest movies are, you know, that connects you as humans. And that's what makes a difference. And any of us can do that if we're willing. What a lovely note to end on. You know, I think connection is really everything. And there's so much research that shows how critical it is that kids have healthy connections with the adults in their lives. So I just love that that you brought that up. So before we say goodbye, could you again just remind us where listeners can connect with you online and read your your articles that you're working on? Okay, awesome. Um, well, again, thank you for having me and thank you for everyone that's listening. I hope I've said something that um, is a positive takeaway for you. Um, for ways to keep up with me, uh, my personal blog, uh, which is called I Am a Black Male Educator, is professorjballen.blogspot.com. And um, I also am honored and proud to work for the Education Post through Atlanta. Uh, which is a blog for really everyone in the state of Georgia um, at this point because we've grown so much. Uh, But you can check us out at atlanta.org, and that's E-D-L-A-N-T-A dot org. And um, that's where you can subscribe to both of those blogs and keep up with strategies and different ways to empower teachers and parents, uh, strategies that work with children who have special needs, Uh, ways to engage families in the learning process, Um, also ways that communities can partner uh, with schools and how businesses can partner with schools and um, a variety of different stories that can touch you and empower you in different ways. So please check me out. 
Thank you for that. And again, listeners, I'll include links on the show notes page. And I should just point out that the Atlanta site, even though there are some Georgia-focused things, there's definitely a lot of content on there that is applicable anywhere that you live and great perspective. So definitely head over there. So Jason, thank you so much. I know we're recording this after a work day on a Thursday. So I just appreciate you making time to come by the podcast and share with us today. No problem. Again, thank you for having me and have a great evening. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. For the show notes for this episode, where you can download the transcript, find links to Jason's blog, and all the other resources we discussed, visit tiltparenting.com slash session 194. If you get a lot out of Tilt Parenting and would like to make a small monthly contribution to help cover the production costs associated with the show, it's really easy to do. Just go to patreon.com slash tiltparenting and sign up. You can pledge $10, $5, or even just $2 a month. Again, that's patreon.com slash tiltparenting. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating or a review for Tilt Parenting on iTunes. Ratings and reviews help keep this podcast visible in an ever-growing sea of podcasts. Thank you so much for considering. And that's all for this week. For more information on Tilt Parenting, visit www.tiltparenting.com. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you've fallen into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model. So that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.